This is the chrysalis, Mark 2, 18 through 28. She wraps herself in silk, readying her body for a type of aerodynamic transformation. This soon-to-be vision of beauty, forcing us to wait so we can watch in awe her fluttering ways. And we long for metamorphosis, like when our children do things for the first time, because somehow we know there is a season for it, and it's good to not be what we were yesterday. Like autumn's leaves and the onset of spring's honeybees, your grace has given us an occasion to change. Jesus, you truly make all things new. Scripture reading this morning comes from Mark chapter 2, verses 18 to 28. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting Some people came and asked Jesus, how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but yours are not? Jesus answered, how can the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? They cannot, so as long as they have him with them. But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them, and on that day they will fast. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If they do, the new piece will pull away from the old, making the tear worse. And people do not pour new wine into old wineskins. If they do, the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. One Sabbath, Jesus was going along the grain fields, and As his disciples walked along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The disciples said to him, Look, why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you never read what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abiathar the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. And then Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for people, not people for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord, even of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we bow in your presence. Let your word be our rule. Let your spirit be our teacher. Let your greater glory be our supreme concern. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. those of you who don't know all of my embarrassing... Oh, sorry, the children are just... For, for those of you who don't know all of my embarrassing secrets, uh, I am known to be something of a weather junkie. There are multiple apps on my smartphone that let me know when the National Weather Service has issued. Thank you. issued Brian warnings. You just can't let some people near the machinery.
<laughs> Either that or my ears are off. I don't know. And, and so uh, on my smartphone, there are these apps that tell me when there are storm warnings in Oklahoma and Kansas and when it's going to rain monsoonal rains near Riverside, never seemingly on Riverside, but near. I'm a weather junkie. I, the adrenaline begins to flow when the storms are nearby. Well, Mark chapter 2 is a chapter full of foreshadowing the storms that Jesus is causing. I say it deliberately that way because we have a Christology that says the, the conflict that Jesus experiences is not one of his making. No, Jesus, meek and mild, he would never get into a conflict unless he was pushed. The Gospels don't bear that out. Jesus is a troublemaker. He is deliberately flaunting in the face of the Pharisees some important behavioral standards of the day. Mark 2, 18 to 28 foreshadow a growing conflict between Jesus and the powers, the powers of Roman occupation and the co-opted powers of the Jewish religious establishment. In chapter 2, verse 6, there is the encounter with the paralyzed man and people saying, well, who gives you the right to forgive sins? And Jesus says, well, okay. If you don't think I can forgive sins, maybe you think I can heal the guy. So, rise up, take up your mat and walk. Neener, neener, I can do them both. In 2.16, Jesus gets rebuked we're going to Matthew's party with tax collectors and the kind of folks that consort with tax collectors, if you know what I mean. And Jesus says, well, that's who I've been sent to. That's my mission. These are my peeps. These are the folks God has called me to hang out with. God didn't call me to hang out with respectable folks. God called me to hang out with irrespectable folks. And now in this section, these two stories that culminate chapter 2, there are conflicts emerging about personal piety and about public piety. Conflicts about what does it mean to be a good follower of God? How are we supposed to do that? The first story deals with fasting. Fasting has a rich tradition in the Hebrew scriptures as a means to facilitate and to focus one's dialogue with God. One fasts in order to pray better. Fasting without prayer is called dieting. Fasting with prayer is called a spiritual discipline. And the Pharisees, in their attempt to create a perfect system of how to responsibly follow God's 
laws had created what scholars have come to call a hedge around the Torah. In other words, here's the Torah. Here's the 613 commandments God has given. And the Pharisees had a prayer that said, oh, that you'd given a thousand commandments, not just 613. You gave a thousand. We'd know your love was so much greater for us. Well, what the Pharisees did was they took that that Torah, that core of 613 commandments, and they built a hedge around it. And they said, if you do these things, well, you'll never be in danger of violating any of these. So don't just fast on high holy days. Fast every Sabbath. Don't just fast for spiritual discernment. Fast because we tell you to, and it's a good thing to do so. And so, by Jesus' time, a whole series of rules about how to fast and when to fast and who you can fast with and who you can't fast with and what, what actually constitutes eating when you're fasting. All of these things had grown up, and there were fasting police to make sure you did it right. And if you didn't, you would be properly chastised. Well, Jesus sees not just the Pharisees doing this, but but the disciples of John, the forerunner, the the, the one who baptized Jesus, uh, his disciples are also fasting in this austere and disciplined way. And everybody looks at Jesus' schmucks and says, why don't they fast? And I suppose Jesus could have explained it away. He could have said, really? Seriously? We're talking about Andrew and Peter and James and John and Matthew here? And you want them to fast like a Pharisee? This, this takes a while. The, the, the spiritual journey is a long one. And, and practices develop over time. And we have to give grace. Jesus doesn't do it. He doesn't explain away the behavior. He embraces it. And he says, look, there are three realities from daily life. People don't act dour and sour at weddings. When the bridegroom's around, there's a party. Unless the bridegroom is dour and sour, I suppose. But, but, but Jesus is making a point about a way of life that in celebrations you celebrate. He says you don't take new cloth and sew it over your garments to, to, to patch it. You, you, the patch has to be a little bit worn too so that it gives. If it doesn't, it'll tear. And the third one, he says, you need to put new wine into new wineskins so that they age together. Jesus is pointing to everyday realities to remind us that God isn't just experienced in the strictures of the ritual moments when we fast but that he's experienced in the everyday. That God's mystery is that he's everywhere. 
and that He embraces us in every context. And that fasting, while important as a spiritual discipline, is not the do-all, end-all, be-all, but rather part of a life that includes rejoicing at weddings and putting the right kind of patch on your garment and pouring new wine into new wineskins and letting them age appropriately. Jesus is, in essence, saying this one spiritual discipline doesn't cover all of life's circumstances. So quit pretending that it does. You can't fast your way into the kingdom. And then the Pharisees come back on a Sabbath. And they see the disciples walking through a field. And, and you've got you to gotta wonder with these Pharisees, did, did they not have anything better to do? You know, on a, on a Sabbath, you know, shouldn't they have been in the synagogue? Uh, where was the rabbi chewing them out? I don't know. I, but here they were watching the disciples, and the disciples are gleaning a practice allowed by the Old Testament law. They were picking heads of grain and rubbing them and consuming them. Ah, but the Pharisees had created a hedge around the fourth commandment. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy? Well, that means don't work. Well, so don't working may have meant don't walk out in the field in the first place. Probably meant don't harvest any grain. Don't, 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 don't act like a farmer. In other words, the Sabbath is about withdrawing from life and hunkering down for a day and trying really hard not to make God unhappy with you. And Jesus says, uh, do you guys remember the story? Now they're Pharisees, of course they remember the story. Do you remember the story about David going to the Ark of the Covenant with Abiathar the priest and and he actually consumes the bread that was reserved for the priests. Now, now when, when you read Jesus' telling of that story, it sounds like David is, is kind, of a, kind of a jerk. He kind of walks in and he grabs what he wants. It sounds smash and grab. But when you read the account in 1 Samuel, you realize that David and Abiathar are in cahoots with each other. Abiathar is not very happy that Saul is king of Israel. Abiathar has taken it in the chops from Saul in past occasions. And so Abiathar finds his, the best bet for replacing Saul at his doorstep hungry. What does Abiathar do? He feeds the guy. What's available? Well, bread that's reserved for the priest. Yeah, here. David and Abiathar commit civil disobedience. And they conspire in this ongoing process to overthrow Saul as king. And Jesus picks that story and he says, look, the Sabbath is not about hunkering down and trying to not displease God. The Sabbath is about delighting in what God has done. 
and enjoying his creation. I'm Lord of the Sabbath. I know this. And so in these two stories, Jesus takes on the the tendency of the Pharisees and the tendency of religious institutions to build practices to protect rather than to create ways to be free. And Jesus challenges them and critiques them and points us in a new direction. In essence, Jesus' conflict with the Pharisees is one about what we would call spiritual direction. Is spiritual direction ultimately about encouraging personal actions that help us keep from doing naughty things? Or is spiritual direction the formation of a community whose practices foster a new culture, a counterculture? A people that embody hope and justice and love and peace. Well, like the Sunday school teacher who says the answer is always Jesus. Of course, the answer to that question is obvious. But how does such a community form? How do we do that kind of community? How do we, how do we become countercultural without succumbing to the epithet hippie and weird. Well, I think Mark 2 gives us at least three ideas about how we become a community of countercultural people. First of all, uh, the text tells us very explicitly to tear down the hedges. Uh, Hedges are about protecting about creating protective practices that keep us out of trouble. The the mission that Jesus sends us on is one that will cause us trouble. One that will, will create tension and generate conflict. And if we build hedges to ensure that that doesn't happen, interpersonally or publicly, then we're going to create a religion that ultimately is about hunkering down and making nice and being passive and letting the world go to hell in a handbasket. How do we begin the process of being a countercultural community? We tear down those hedges. We let The call of God be the call of God. We let the Torah, the instruction, be the instruction. Not all the additions that we can add to it. The second step we take is to recognize that discipleship is more than just having a lot of cognitive insight about what the Bible says. Being a disciple of Jesus isn't about passing Bible 101 as as much as it pains me to say that. Discipleship is is about spiritual continuity. It's about creating spiritual muscle memory in our lives. It's It's about practicing in the same way again and again and again so that we know when conflict comes our way, we know how to act 
as peacemakers. We don't have to try to guess in the moment because we've practiced peacemaking in our lives. We've practiced it with our friends and with our enemies, with our neighbors and with strangers. And so that when those moments come and we have to publicly act, we're on the stage and, and people are watching how we live, it's just muscle memory. It's just normal. Folks, that's what this is about. This is why we gather on Sunday morning to practice our faith. Now, I know most practices in a sport don't involve the coach giving a 20-minute lecture. You can argue about the time later. So we got to work on that. And I recognize that. But somehow, what we do on Sunday morning when we gather as a community is we practice the faith together so that we can live it out the rest of the week. So that we make our mistakes here. So that we learn how to be Christians out there. We practice. We create spiritual continuity in our lives. There's also the importance of discipleship as It's what Dietrich Bonhoeffer called Nachfolge Christi, following Christ. That that discipleship isn't just learning a bunch of rote behaviors, but it's also about following a living Jesus and learning to do what he says. And then finally, it's about seeing Jesus as Lord And recognizing that if Jesus is Lord, Caesar isn't. And that there will be conflict between the world as it is and the world as God intends it to be. And that we will be called upon as followers of Christ to make a choice. Who's Lord? Whose victory news do we ultimately buy? Which narrative Will we live by? Will we live by the gospel of Caesar that says, I will take care of you. You pay me, you pay me my due, you give me my taxes, I give you protection, and if you mess up with that, I will come down on you like a ton of bricks. Or do we buy into the narrative of Jesus who says, Mercy abounds, grace is everywhere, and you can be forgiven. Discipleship is ultimately an act of civil disobedience because Caesar's narrative does not have room for mercy and grace. And Jesus' narrative is all about mercy and grace. And then finally, recognizing that the lordship of Jesus is over everything, including our stuff and our time. Lordship is not just an attitude, but it's a way of owning things. Of owning things. And it's a way of keeping time. It's a way that says, as God is gen- has been generous with me in grace and mercy, so I am generous with everything I have and with everything I am. That's... That's the spiritual rest that Jesus is calling us into. Not to, 
not to keep attending to the hedges around the law, the rules upon the rules that we add to our spiritual practice that are so inviting to those around us who don't have spiritual practice. Oh, they just want to jump on board with us and follow us in that road, don't they? Instead, Christ calls us to freedom, Paul says. That freedom is the missing hedge around the Torah. That that freedom is a discipleship of continuity and of following and of civil disobedience. And it is a discipleship that recognizes that all that we have and all that we are is at God's disposal. So this morning, some questions for you to reflect about. What hedges are you tending in your life? Do they serve to keep you from experiencing the pain of the world? We grow those high hedges. We build those tall fences so that we don't have to deal with them over there. So that we can demarcate between what's ours and what's theirs. What hedges are you tending in your life? And how do they serve to keep you from experiencing the pain of the world? Is your discipleship focused on uh, figuring out God's minimum expectations for your life? Or is your discipleship based on following Jesus wherever he leads? How many of us are like the the students that we know, those of us who have been teachers, who come in on the first day of class and they figure out just how much they've got to do to get a B. And they don't do much more than that. And they sure don't do it before it's due. Is Is that our view of discipleship? Or is our discipleship about following Jesus wherever this journey leads? And then thirdly, how is Jesus Lord over the things you own and the time you keep? How is Jesus Lord over your stuff? One more thing. Chad Myers, in his book Binding the Strongman, writes the following. Jesus is not only defending discipleship practice against the holiness code of Phariseeism, he is going on the offensive challenging the ideological control and manipulation of the redistributive economy by a minority whose elite status is only aggrandized. I'm not sure I know what that means, but the next sentence I think I get. Mark consistently argues that solidarity with the poor also means addressing oppressive structures. There are hedges built all through our society that divide us. There are walls in Palestine and hedgerows in our driveways, all designed to keep them out. How do we address those structures that divide? How do we tear down those walls? When we moved from Rancho Cucamonga to Riverside, and we put Scott Hooks through 
the agony of showing us 30 different houses. And uh, he never complained once. And he uh, showed us the place at 6270 Raleigh Street. There were two things about that house that made me want to run in, out the door screaming. The first one was the set of mirrors that was on the fireplace. And Scott just grabbed me by the arm. He said, that can be taken care of. Don't, don't run out this door, too, because there are mirrors on the fireplace, because I'd done that before. And, and the other thing about it was, was what Randy uh, charitably called the, the bat cave effect. Uh, there were these spruce trees, eight feet tall, lining the driveway. And you did kind of feel driving in like you were driving into a bat cave. Cause these trees and uh, I discovered those too could be fixed. Hedges can be taken out. Now, I discovered several years later that that's a kind of impressive architectural feature of uh, homes from a certain period of time. And so I feel like I, I trashed somebody's vision for what that house was supposed to be. Uh, my apologies to all previous owners. But, <laughs> but we, can take, we can tear down the dividing walls that our lives run into. The problem with doing that is it will not make us popular with everybody. Going on the offensive, to use Ched Meyer's language, means that Christianity isn't about being meek and mild and nice. It's about being discerning and acting. And that will be hard for us as a community and for each of us individually. May God grant us the freedom to tear down the hedges around our walk with him, around our lives with others, and across this society and around the world. May we be known as those who tear down walls in order to repair the breaches in our society. The Jesus of Mark chapter 2 is a Jesus who presents himself as one with authority. Authority to forgive sins. Authority to heal. Authority to call. Authority to go to a party. Authority over the Sabbath. And authority to fast in different ways. Jesus doesn't present himself as someone who's outside the rules, just someone who looks at the hedges that we build to control and says, that's not for me or my followers. Christ calls us to a way of life that welcomes the world God is redeeming. May we make that kind of trouble for the world that's resistant to welcoming the redemptive love of God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge your authority in our lives. We acknowledge that authority is not authority that frees us to do whatever we want to do. It is authority that invites us into your mission. Give us the courage. 
to join up with you and to go on the journey that you're on to redeem the world, to take that which has been broken and to heal it and to welcome the healing that you're doing. In your name we pray. Amen.